Hello, and welcome to Create, Connect, Communicate, the EMG podcast. My name is Michelle Ponto, and I'm the content strategist here at EMG. And today, my podcast guest is Candy Adams, who is known in the industry as the Booth Mom. For over 20 years, Candy has been helping exhibitors put their best foot forward with personal, customized exhibit project management services. I've seen Candy in action at past events, and let me tell you, she is passionate about making it all come together flawlessly on the show floor. Welcome to our podcast, Candy. Thanks for having me today. And it is, I, I'd like to say it's great to be doing trade shows, but right now there's just not much going on. <laughs> I know it's been a, it's been an interesting year. And with a milestone of 500 shows under your belt, you've definitely earned that title of Booth Mom. You've seen everything. And like you just said, in 2020, you saw everything change overnight. Right. right. 2021 is my 30 years in the industry. And this is the thing you never saw coming. I mean, talk about blindsided. It really did. That's true. I think it blindsided, well, definitely all the people like you who put the events together, but also a lot of the companies who rely on these events for their networking, for their product launches, and um, just touching base with the media. So what did you see changed in the B2B exhibit world during 2020? Well, it started out with people setting up their exhibits for a couple shows here in Southern California that I was part of. And they came in at about a quarter of five and said, start tearing down at five, uh, we're closing the show. So we had shipped everything in, we were ready to go. And all of a sudden there was, you know, no, nothing happening. Wow. So no seeing companies have to pivot, I mean, from just turning around and shipping their things home. And then it's now what do we do? I had one person tell me that they figured they were spending over a third of their time doing nothing but canceling contracts and trying to figure out how to get money back. And the people who were already doing some virtual definitely had you know, a, a foot up on the people who had not been doing anything virtual. The people who had robust websites were doing much better. And the shows had to figure out how they wanted to pivot. Did they want to postpone because none of us knew at that point was this going to be a three-week lockdown and then pivot so could you go into another you know later time slot in the year were you going to try to go virtual was it going to be a hybrid opportunity nobody knew and so it's amazing that if you look at the arts and charts of what happened in 2020 the optimism just kept going down and down and down. You know, was it going to be Q2, Q3, Q4? And then the biggies, you know, the Googles, the Facebooks started dropping and saying, we're not planning on anything till Q3 of this year, 2021. And then everybody took a step back and said, what do they know that we don't? And then all of the legal liability issues started rearing their ugly head when employees are saying, what if I don't want to travel? So, you know, like I say, there, there was this major pivot and the companies who are out there after, well, 9-11, you know, we had, everybody started talking virtual trade shows after 9-11. Then they started talking about it. What are we doing after people don't have the budgets to travel in 08 and 09? So I've seen this through about three different renditions of where are we going to go with virtual? Yeah. 
So has virtual and technology actually risen up from the ashes this time? It really has, and it's evolved. There is a gentleman named Brant Kruger in the industry who's been around since the first rendition of it, you know, after 9-11. And Brant says he has seen 10 years of growth in the virtual industry as far as the technology in 10 months. He is one of the three, I would say the top three gurus in the industry. And he says he sees nothing but just exponential growth. The sad thing is so many people tried to rise from the ashes without really having the technology backgrounds and people who were trying it, can I say spending their last pennies trying to make it work. And it may work for the people who are doing content, but the thing I've seen, Michelle, is that they're making virtual conferences. They aren't making virtual trade shows. You can easily record content and play it back. You can do simulcast. You can do all of these things if all it is is somebody talking online. But how do you get that serendipity? How do you get that contact between the exhibitor when someone walks up to your booth and goes, oh, wow, I get it. And you can't do that online in a chat room. And I would say, I mean, of the shows that I've done virtual this year, that's all they are is a virtual chat room you're in. And you don't get the people actually making the connection, actually seeing the person. You can't shake hands anymore. You can't read the, the body language. I'm just not seeing that. I did CES last week for a client. This would have been my 17th CES with the same client. Out of 150,000 people in 26 hours, we had six people come to our virtual exhibit. So the attendees don't, they've already given up on the one-on-one -on -one and know it's not going to be the same right. with the current experiences that they're, they're getting. Right, right. Because right now, all it was was people looking you up in a list. They could have gotten the URL off of your profile and probably gotten more connection going to your website because the videos, they allowed us three 90-second videos. That was it. Mm. And so we just didn't have the, the connection, you know, and they keep saying it's the data. You know, we have the opportunity to get so much more data now. And the question is, what are they actually sharing with you data-wise? Yeah. Are you getting information from, let's start with registration. You've got the attendee registration, then you've got okay, now the person is actually signed up for a session. What do we know about their interests if they're in that session? Did you do polling? Was there any kind of you know, hand raising or whatever to see what people's interests were? Are you doing chat room mining of keywords? You know, what are these people saying in the chat rooms? Are they going into a Zoom room of their own on a special topic? But the thing is, I don't see the show managers going into this with that mindset of what can we do to try to replicate any kind of connection between these poor exhibitors yeah, and the attendees. And are they actually trying to keep people in the sessions or are they trying to drive the traffic and they're yeah. not? 
I'm just not seeing that 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 driving. So there's opportunity for them to definitely get better data. So they almost need to bring in a lead gen specialist who thinks like right. this and knows what kind of information the exhibitor would need to actually make those connections afterwards if they're not right. going to get it at the show floor. Right. And then and the virtual, what is more important, having them listen to a, a talk and collect information or having them go to the virtual side where people seem to be disappointed in the experience so far? The biggest surveys, there have been two of them. One came in and when they asked how many exhibitors are getting ROI, the answer was from one survey was 10% and the other one was 12. So when you look at, at the numbers, truthfully, I've had more people suitcasing, which is a term in the, in the trade show industry of people coming to your exhibit trying to sell you something. Yeah. And the sad thing is I had more people suitcasing me at the two last virtual shows I did than I actually had people coming looking for our product. Okay, so they're using it in a totally different way. So where do you see them going in 2021? Because if I had a bad experience in CES and this one, would I, as an exhibitor, unless things improve, would I even bother going to 2022? Not unless it's a hybrid event. And right now I have signed up for CES 2021, but the thing you have to look at is what are your contract terms? And if it doesn't happen, can I roll money over? Do I get money back? And there are actually lawsuits right now in the industry. And sadly, it's in my own industry. Exhibitor Show has continually postponed. And if I can put the little air quotes around it, it was supposed to happen last, late last February. Mm -hmm. They postponed to August of 20. Then they rolled it over, didn't cancel it, rolled it over to the dates that they already had for 2021. And now the question is, are they gonna do it again? And the exhibitors want their money back. These are exhibit houses, people who don't have the money to keep their doors open, to keep their people employed. And these people are sitting on their money and saying, well, the contract says we can postpone. But the question is, if you roll it all the way to the next year, is it still a postponement? Or is it a cancellation? So you really have to look at the clauses when you sign these and say, am I willing to forfeit half the money if they decide that they can't have it because of the coronavirus? Yeah, because then you won't be able to use that money in a different type of marketing campaign to gather your leads. It's locked right. up. Right. They can't pivot the budget. Yeah. No. So that, that, that's some of the sad things that are going on. And truthfully, they say that two thirds of the hotels here in the US probably are never going to reopen at least not for two or three years. And if you look at the number of exhibit houses, I heard this week in San Diego, another one is closing. Who are we going to have left if we pivot back to having live shows? How many of our vendors are still gonna be there? That's true. But it does seem like there's a little bit of light with the hybrid events, because if you can get there and be live, you get to right. take, take advantage of both sides. You can gather the leads that they're gathering from these pre-recorded events or whatever they're doing. Plus right. you have the real live traffic. Right. And the thing is the show managers see the on-demand income stream more so than they see us. They sell us virtual space, remote space, digital space, whatever you want to call it. They sell us that once. 
And then they have to work with us to get uploaded videos, uploaded PDFs, uploaded profiles. You know, they've got time in it, but are they able to sell anything beyond that? And the answer is no. Where all of the content that they have, yes, they can, they can resell that into the future. They can sell it to exhibitors who can then put it on their website if they were the featured speaker. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they see ways to monetize it. But right now, they said in 2020, they thought about a third of the shows that went ahead and ran on a virtual basis, only a third of them broke even. So they're having trouble, you know, just like we exhibitors are having trouble with this, they're having trouble monetizing it too. Yeah. And I I know some of the complaints we've been getting from some of our people who have been going to the conferences is that the promotion isn't as good because the things are now virtual. They're forgetting to promote. They promote the the events happening, but because these speakers and on-demand things are the key lead generators, that kind of promotion needs to uh, be stepped up. Do you think that's something that the companies need to start thinking about that they should, it's not just them going to the show, but they need to start talking about what they're going to be doing or when people should be tuning in on their own rather than relying always on the show exhibitors to do this for them? I think, I mean, years ago when I started in the industry and I mean, I'm gonna date myself, this is, this is my 30th year in the industry. There were many more exhibitor, I don't wanna say exhibitor advisory committees they had different names for them. They got away from that and just started listening to the large exhibitors, the really big sponsors, the people who could dump money in it. I mean, if I look at CES, Michelle, they had only three options. You could do a little you know, mini exhibitor program for 1500. You could go to 25,000 or 85,000. Wow. That was it. You only had three options. And unless you were one of those big exhibitors, they aren't listening to you because if a $1,500 exhibitor goes away, how much loss is it when truthfully they're buried? I mean, you know, CES built an entire new platform with Microsoft for this year's show. Yeah. But now what are we gonna do next year? How many of the people are going to come? And they think that in 2022, one out of three people who came in 2019 will come back physically. But it comes down to, and then we get into the duty of care. Will your employer let you travel? And if you sign a waiver, and this is, I was on this, this legal beagle uh, guy here in the U.S., guy named John Foster, and something I'd never thought of. Is your employee going to sue you if they go and get COVID? And here in the litigious society we're in, there's three places that they can sue you. They can sue you in, depending on which one has the most liberal laws on suing mm-hmm. is it where you registered from your home base because everybody's working from home are they going to sue you from where the platform is or where the show who you paid to participate so the question is are you going to get sued if you let your employees go And we recently had a a show here in the US down in Orlando and they did have three COVID cases. The people had signed a waiver, but is the waiver any good? Again, nobody knows. Yeah. And I guess all the rules are hard to follow too. There's the distancing, there's the sanitation, there's the mask wearing. 
well, there, there's a, the spatial or social distancing, whatever you want to call it. And are the, well, and then there's something which for me hits really close to home. How are you going to run a virtual event at the exact same time with the same staff you used to run your live event? Now you've got hybrid running at the same time. And at CES in two days, I was online watching for this minuscule dot to show up on my screen, telling me somebody had walked into my virtual exhibit. And I sat there for 26 hours waiting for six people to come. And did I have the right people? If that person came in and I have three products, did I get the right person into the exhibit to talk to them before that person left? And in a live environment, I mean, a lot of the training I've done over the years is of how long will someone wait? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have the eye contact. You have to make a move toward them physically. We don't have that. And if I can't get the right person to talk to them who is actually manning, staffing the actual exhibit, the physical exhibit, now I need twice as much staff to do the same show. That's who true. do I have in the virtual one and who do I have in the live one? You know, we can't just clone these people. We may be virtual, but, you know, do we have little robots to answer the questions? Yeah, that's something people need to take into consideration because, you, yeah, you're right. You can't just offer them a coffee and say, just have a seed. We'll be right with you. Or... <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This person will be done in two minutes, you know, yeah. because they say the higher the level of the person who comes into your exhibit, the less time they think they should have to wait because they're important. Yeah. And truthfully, the younger the person now who is used to having what I call automatic, you know, some, you know, you go to your to your phone, it's there. Okay, now you have to wait 30 seconds for somebody to make eye contact. They're going to already have left. Ah. So when you see the dot, do you know who they are? Does it have their no. name? Oh, so you have to actually wait. Okay, because that would be good. At least you can what, see what, what to prioritize. To CES, the first person who came into my exhibit was my boss. And this was funny because Tina and I have worked together for probably about 20 years. And like I say, this was my 17th CES with him. And she came in to see what the attendee experience was. What was it going to look like for them? And I see Tina eight. Great. Hi, Tina H. And I didn't know she was going to do it, but it's like, okay, now can I see your badge? You actually had to, you know, where you generally people walk in, you look down at their badge and you see who they are, what company they're with, and maybe a city. So you yeah. have, you can make a connection. When I ask her, may I see your badge? She had to hit a button to give me access. So all I had was her first name, whatever, however she signed in. The second people who came were Mark and Valerie. I didn't even have a last name. I didn't have a last initial. And they were trying to sell me agency services. Mm -hmm. The third people came in trying to sell me AI. The next people came in trying to sell me SEO. Then I had somebody coming in asking about what we had dropped two press releases that morning on that had been embargoed, they came out that morning. She wanted to know how to get, we're a membership organization, how do I get to your members who are going to be moving on to this new version so I can sell them something? Well, now are we gonna, you know, that's not why our members belong, so we can <laughs> you know, put them out there. So really, 
And then when the next day she came back again and asked, nobody contacted me. And I had to tell her, CES isn't going to even be giving us your contact information for two weeks. So there will be a lag here and when you hear from us. And it's not that we're lagging, we're waiting for the Consumer Technology Association to give us this information. Again, they're not looking at what our experience or our visitors' experience is. And you wouldn't wait two weeks to go out and start contacting people that you wanted information from on a live show floor. Why would you want to do it virtually? Yeah, that's true. Well, hopefully it will get better in 2021 because I'm hoping they've learned something or people have complained and it's coming back and they know that they need to do something or they're not going to get exhibitors. Right. Or attendees because both of them seem like they're not getting what they want. How about the companies that you said are just doing it on their own? They they said, oh, forget it. I'm not going to wait. (laughs) Right. Right. That there are people who have a robust enough CRM system or they're willing to buy lists. And of course we all know there's the people with all the phony lists out there, but there are the media companies you know, who have good lists of who subscribes to their magazines or whatever. So you can buy you know, the data to get to them because so few of the shows are actually letting you putting up a virtual you know, 360 exhibit, something you can walk around and look at to try to more replicate that experience. So the question comes up, should I do it on my own website? Should I just do my own virtual events? Should I just have virtual happy hours and send everybody a kit and say, would you like, you know, bubbling grape juice? Would you like, you know, white, red? And then we'll send you Grubhub so you can order your own potato skins. (laughs) People are doing all of these different things, trying to get people to engage. And if you have 30 people, you know, it's like, this is going to be 30 people on Zoom, and we're going to be talking about what your issues are, where our product might solve it. People are having better luck with that than they are these wacky trade shows where nobody even comes to your exhibit. I'm loving the creativity that these companies are are doing to come up with ways to engage with customers on their own terms. (laughs) Right, right. And doing it do you do it in different time zones? So is, is it lunch for me and happy hour for somebody else, East Coast, West Coast? Mm-hmm. If I have an Asian versus a European you know, group that I wanna get together. And do I have someone with the right accent in the right time zone? If I offer Grubhub in a company, in a country that doesn't have Grubhub, a lot of good that did. Yeah. So, I mean, it takes a lot to pull these things together, but the people who are doing it and doing it well are reaping the rewards of it. And it might be more cost efficient at the end. Right, right. Real quickly, I am going to take one step over here and grab something off a table to show you. Okay. And this is, I, I thought, just really a fun thing. And I'm not going to show you the... I mean, the other side has the advertising on it. Yeah. And it is a lunch box of all the things to go with your lunch. And my promotions person put this together and it has all kinds of fun stuff in it. And it's like, well, here's your real show bag. You know, we all get <laughs> our show bags. So she had her show bag in it. She has come in out of the dark. 
you know, because we all feel like we've been in the dark, not knowing what's going yeah. on with COVID. So we've got a little flight slide here. Here we have something I thought was really cool because it was a microfiber mouse pad. So you could use it to clean your devices, but also use it as a portable mouse pad when you go so it's not thick. Yeah. But she came up with this because she's doing a lot of these for people. She's sending out, you know, the virtual lunches, the virtual happy hours. But what does it take to get your people to give you that half hour? Because they're saying half, at least a half to two thirds of people who sign up for these don't come. So... At that point, what have you expended trying to get a qualified lead? Yeah. But I think at the same time, as you can see with this lunchbox, it's really interesting, creative. People are being bombarded with webinars and everything. So you need to make your little mini summit or mini lunch hour really interesting and compelling to your target audience. Yeah. I saw something the other day and it reminded me of going to a football game And the people who have the finger, you know, it's the great big foam hand. Yeah. And they sent you a whole bunch because they were going to be doing a lot of polling because it was like a group of 30 and you could get them all on one screen and you had all the little hands to hold up. Oh, that would be a nice picture. Very cute. Yeah. But they were (laughs) two-sided and you could go back and forth, but they sent you, I want to say three of them with two sides. So you could literally vote on things. Yes, no, up, down, you know. And uh-huh. that, I thought that was fun. But, but people want to have fun doing these things. We're missing that human connection, that serendipity. Yeah. And we're still trying to get it. But boy, is it tough. Yeah. But I'm, there's some good ideas coming out of this. Like really good ideas, memorable ideas. Like if, you, if I was in the voting one, I, I remember like, oh, I, that was that one where they talked about this. And I remember being active, not just watching and tuning in and out. Right. Very and, and how many, I mean, how many of the people who are watching this are parallel processing? You know, you can only stare at a screen so long. So do something fun. Look, you know, I made them look at the screen because I was holding something up. Yeah. You know, but, but what are you doing other than having your same boring panel? And as they say, the speakers who may be good speakers in person may not be the good speakers online. They just don't have the, the passion to get people really engaged in what they're doing and to participate in it. That's true. Online, your energy level has to be a lot higher to keep people engaged. Yeah, Your voice needs to change. It is different. We're training people on how to be good on video now because they realize that that's what they're going to be doing probably all next year. They're going to be on video somehow, whether Zoom, whether a webcast, whether recorded something, they're going to be on video. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, this this is where we're at. So, you know, what are you going to do to make it fun to the people, make them want to engage? And what are they getting afterwards? And the thing is, people want to know that they're going to get something not two weeks later. You know, our, you know, what I did, if you ask me, what did I do two weeks ago? It's like, let me see. I think that was the week of CES, you know, trying to remember. And then somebody gets back with you and says, well, you ask about our product two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. What do I remember? How many webinars? Because I do probably a webinar about every other day. What do I remember about this platform versus that platform two weeks later? You know, what was the differentiator? Yeah. So you really have to, to be on top of it. And if the show managers aren't giving the exhibitors the contact information for two weeks. Now, the really sad part at CES, they let your 
virtual exhibit, which is a profile, three videos, and 10 PDFs, and a contact to your press person in case they're media, they let that up for a month. That means if somebody got onto our website the day after the show, they were on all the, the sessions, they didn't get to your exhibit, but they did the day after. It's going to be over 30 days because it was a 30-day window through, I think, the 16th of February. And they are now going to be sending that information out within a couple of days. So if they got on the 14th of January, it's going to be like the 17th of February before they hear from the people that they ask for information. That's way too long. Yeah, it's a long and, time. Yeah. I mean, at least if they come to your own website, you have control over how often that information downloads to the people who can get back to them. Yeah. And we've lost that control. Yeah, you have it immediately. It's your event. You First of all, you yeah. know who you invited. <laughs> yes. You know who's supposed to come. You know who showed up. You know who missed it. Right. You know who participated, who was talking, that kind of stuff. That's all monitored by your teams. And even the presenters, even if they don't know, they don't record everyone's name. If there's somebody who asks a lot of questions, that's going to register in their head right away. So they, they right. have immediate control on, oh, this one was interested. We need to follow up with them afterwards. Yeah. Well, to, to me, I mean, I always say that the stupidest people at trade shows are the people who dedupe their leads at the end of the show when you do get the list. And they go, okay, that person's on there twice, take them off. No, that's the person who should be at the top of the list because they came back twice. So like I say, we still have to have that mentality of how long did they spend on it? And not all show managers are telling you how long they stayed on your website. The, the first virtual show I did, actually we had an exhibit and you came up and you had this little 10 by 20 exhibit. You had a couple graphics on the back wall. Your logo was, mm -hmm. as all of these you know, linear exhibits are, had your logo on the front of your info counter, and you actually had an avatar. And you could pick you know, what your avatar looked like, and people would come up and engage with that, and you would say, do you want to go into a one-on-one -on -one chat? Do you want to go into our chat room where we currently have three people? You know, Some of these people are doing cool stuff, but then they don't give you the data. They don't yeah. tell you how long that person looked at your video. Did they click on it for five seconds and go away? So there's so much data out there and we're just squandering those opportunities. Well, I think even some of this data that you're talking about are things that if you are hosting your own event or your home, whatever, that they also need to start thinking about because yes, they might have a system, but again, they don't know what to do with that data either because they haven't had to work with leads in this way before. Before it was different. It was one-on-one. -on -one. You, you, you made it there. Now you have to make those leads happen for you. Right, right. And there are companies out there that used to do other types of like live surveys as people walk out of your exhibit. You have a survey of did you get you what you wanted? Were you treated courteously in a timely manner? And you ask like the five questions and give them an extra present. Those companies have now pivoted to dealing with data that's coming out of these virtual shows. But do the shows have money to hire them to set it up? And again, we're, we're all in the time and the money crunch. How long does it take? How much extra time up front does it take to do this, to set it up before you put together the package to sell to the exhibitor? Yeah. 
that's that's true and i know a lot of people are waiting they're like oh we can maybe wait six more months and things will come back but some of these things if they're put in place properly even if things do come back that could still be useful <laughs> yeah and i have to say when, when you just said that when are they coming back i am in san diego and ever since this thing hit they've turned our convention center into a homeless shelter because they said they couldn't distance the people far enough apart in the other shelters that they had. So they took some of the COVID money that came into the city and they are keeping, really keeping the convention center alive. But when you figure it takes a year to plan a live event, both for the exhibitor, I mean, exhibitors usually are more in the, I'll say some of the six weeks to six months, but the show has to sign the contract. And are these convention centers going to be ready? Are we going to have hotels? Are the restaurants going to be there? Are we going to have the airlift to get people there? And are we going to have exhibit staff who are willing to travel? Yeah. You know, talking about the safety of these vaccines, we've had some, we had six people last week here in San Diego where they're giving the, as I call, drive through jabs. You know, you drive up in your car, you stick your shoulder out the window, and, and they let you have it. We had six people in one day have a anaphylactic reaction from the Moderna virus uh, vaccine. So how efficient is it? How effective is it gonna be? Are the people gonna feel safe if we say it's at a 94% efficiency? That was with the first version of the virus. Now we've got the UK virus. Now we've got the South African virus. And as of this week, we now have a different strain of it coming from Brazil. And Moderna has already said, we're gonna have to do a booster shot because ours is not working well with either the Brazilian one nor the South African one. There's a lot of unknowns out there right now. Yeah, they just they, they keep mutating. And so, just because we were all going, yay, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna, to gonna have it by, you know, Q3, which is frankly when most of the people, Q3, Q4 this year is when people think that live might come back. And I have signed two contracts already this month, and I have one more contract to sign tomorrow for a Q4 show, a live Q4, you know, be there in your face show. But problem is now with the mutations, are those going to happen? Yeah. And none of us have a crystal ball. That's true. Well, we're almost out of time. So I want to end on a positive note. So based on everything that you know, and everything that you, you see, what is some advice that you can give to people for 2021 to help them increase their leads, whether shows come back or not? What, what do you recommend that they start thinking about? Look at your show managers as your partner, reach out to them, Tell them what you want, what you need, how you need it, and when you need it. Because they aren't in our shoes. I mean, I'm certified on, as I say, both sides of the fence as a show manager and as an exhibitor. But the communication is not there. They have other things on their plate. But we have to let them know what we need and what we want, or we're not going to get it. And if you don't get it that way, then you have to look into how am I going to do this on my own? And there are a number of companies who are doing it so well. They've been doing it, like I say, for 10, 15 years, 
those are the companies you don't want the new kid on the block who's still trying to figure it out. You want the people who have the track record, but to get on their schedule, you have to give them a little more lead time. So if you're going to do this, start looking at when do you want to do it? What would your budget be? How many people would you want to get to? How personal do you want it? And also people are looking at doing road shows. This is the, the late, latest thing here. And where after 9-11, when people didn't want to get on planes, now people are going back to saying, the majority of my potential clients are in, let's say three cities. They're in Vegas, they're in Chicago, and they're in Atlanta. How can I do a road show? How can I put this stuff in a semi and do an outside event in those cities get people out where they feel safe. It's an outside event. And I'm going to put up a huge, you know, like outside drive-in theater mm -hmm. for them. But there's going to be reason to want, want to go there. I, I, you know, I want to be part of that. So think outside the box. What have we done before and what can we repurpose now? Those are some really interesting ideas. And I hope more people take advantage of them, especially the roadshow here. I don't even think we're allowed to do that at the moment, but outside is definitely going to open up more than the inside or quicker than right. the inside for sure. Yeah. And well, we're out of time. So I want to thank you for joining us, Candy, because this has been, you have so much knowledge in this area, so many ideas, you've seen so much, you know what people want, you know what they need. And it's just a matter of making sure or having people realize that there are avenues that people can go to, even when things right. feel like they're closed down. And, and if anybody ever wants, wants to reach out to me, Michelle, just have them, you know, candyadamsboothmom.com and I will send them articles. I actually have a binder that is about this thick that since this started, I have saved every hybrid, virtual, monetization, promotion. I've got it all and I'm happy to send them the links to this stuff. Reach out to people because none of us are an island now. We've got to be even closer virtually than we were in person. Yes, and I think sharing ideas because it's going to help everybody with this. Right. I've been following you on LinkedIn because you're real. Sometimes you're like, oh, these things are canceled. The next time you come up with a great idea and you're sharing great advice on, on something you've seen or an article that you found. So I've been. I would I've, say more of what I do is my take on articles I've seen that, that gave me an aha moment. And I want other people not to have to spend hours a day like I do. So, you know, like I say, yeah, reach out, but happy to link to anybody on LinkedIn, you know, love to, love to hear from you and share what I see. Yeah. So again, for everybody, follow Candy Adams on LinkedIn, or if you want to know more about what she does, visit boothmom.com. And don't forget to tune in again next month for another Create, Connect, Communicate podcast. Until then, have a great day. Mm -hmm.